0: want to begin a series today that I'm calling Friends, Friends. Leavers, Cleavers, and Deceivers. All of you have had friends that left you, you've had friends that stuck with you, and you have friends that weren't friends. Amen? And I'm going to begin this series looking down the tunnel of time to a whole year I'm dedicating to ministering on subjects that are going to sharpen your cutting edge. Sharpening your cutting edge. And there isn't anything that'll sharpen your cutting edge or dull it quicker than friends. So let's look at Proverbs 17, verse 17. And here's Solomon writing about friends. He says, A friend loves at all times and is born, as is a brother, to stand by you in adversity. Watch that. That's talking about a true friend. A friend loves no matter what you're going through, no matter what you've done, no matter how good you look or bad you look. And they are born as is a flesh-and-blood brother to stand by you in times of adversity. Having close friends can be a wonderful blessing, but the wrong friends can be a curse for the righteous. So let's just pray right now and ask God, because everybody in here has friends, we all deal with people, we're all in relationships, and it matters who your friends are, particularly as a believer. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you that this series is going to begin a series on different topics all year long that are going to sharpen our spiritual walk. Lord, that by the end of this year, we will shine, bringing forth fruit to the glory of God. I pray, Lord, over every friendship represented in this room. I pray for every relationship that is godly, that you will super and doubly bless it. I pray, Lord, that if there are friendships that are hurting, dulling, endangering the spiritual lives of people in this room, that you will bring them to a gracious end. I'm asking, Lord, for the sword of the Spirit to come cutting here today and help us to discern what is good and what is bad. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him this sounds serious today. (laughs) Uh. Friends are so important. How many of you know today that friends are crucial to your spiritual life? It matters who your friends are. Now I'm going to make a couple of statements about friendship I never want you to forget. Remember this. When God wants to bless you, he sends a person into your life. When Satan wants to destroy you, he sends a person into your life. When God wants to bless you, he will send a person into your life. Think of the times that you've been blessed. Think about the times God has moved on your life. Think about the times that he has brought you into a deeper walk with him. I guarantee you it was via a person. And think about the times you slid. Think about the times your spiritual life waned. Think about the times you did not walk with God like you knew you should. I guarantee you, chances are strong it was the wrong people in your life. When God wants to bless you, he sends a person into your life. When Satan wants to destroy you, he sends a person into your life. Both God and the enemy of your soul know the power of friendship to influence and shape you my goal for the year 2006 is to carry us to a new level spiritually now let me tell you something based on that where you are morally and spiritually at this time next year will depend on the strength of your devotional life and who your friends were the secret to your success is hidden in your daily routine the secret to your success is hidden in your daily routine and that includes who you're hanging out with. There are two words for friend in the New Testament. The first one is a term of endearment. It was used to refer to a tr- true friend with uh, or affection. Phileo, a true friend with affection. Jesus said concerning Lazarus, he said, our friend Our friend, Lazarus, sleeps, but I go that I may awaken him. He used there the term of endearment, the term of friendship affection. Conversely, James warned us in his letter, whoever is a friend, a friend. Now there he uses the word phileo. Whoever is a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Whoever whoever has a brotherly or friendship or attaching affection to this world, has become the enemy of God. Powerful words. The second word for friend refers to a more shallow, emotionally uninvolved relationship. We would use the word acquaintance to express the same thought. Oh, he's an acquaintance. She's an acquaintance. A casual companion or a comrade. When Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss, Jesus said to him, Friend, why have you come? That's very powerful because he didn't use phileo. He used the word that is expressing an acquaintance. It was very telling because in every other place where Christ referred to his disciples as friends, he uses the term of endearment. But there with Judas, he called him a casual acquaintance. He was distancing himself from Judas. One of the great proverbs on friendship says, Iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. The word countenance means, this really struck me, countenance means the look on someone's face. The look on someone's face. Did you know that who you run around with, who you relate to, affects the look on your face? It affects the look on your face your countenance, the look on your face, it either puts a look of joy, peace, and strength, or it etches out a hard, bitter, angry, and downcast look. You can tell a whole lot about who somebody is running around with by the look on their face. Have you ever noticed a teenager? If a teenager hooks up with the wrong crowd, one of the first indicators to a parent is the look on their face. They can go from peace and joy and strength and and happiness It can change, it can morph into one of anger, one of bitterness, one of rebellion, one of defiance, one of arrogance, and it it is the reflection of who they're running with because who you run with, you catch their attitude. So, so we could change this and say as iron sharpens iron, so a man helps chisel out the look on the face of his friend. That's what the Bible is saying. God is telling us that our friends have power that very few have. Friends affect and mold us for our good or bad. In other words, we become, we become just like those we run with. As a matter of fact, two things, two major things shape you. The God you worship and the people you run with. So it's very, very important who you call friend. Because we want countenances. Jesus said, let your light shine. Well, you know, God's greatest billboard is your face. Your countenance. And if that were true right now, the God we worship will determine who we become and the people we run with will determine who we become. Now, I can hear some of you thinking, well, Pastor Jeff, I'm a strong believer, so I just get around people who aren't walking with God because I know my walk will pull them up. You're a fool. Your your walk will not pull them up. Their walk will pull you down. That's why God tells us, and I'm gonna get into this in just a moment, that's why God is very clear that we are to choose friends wisely. One example of the influence of a friend is found in Proverbs 22:24. 24. Listen to this. Make no friendship. Make no friendship with a man given to anger. And with a wrathful man, do not associate, lest you learn his ways and get yourself into a snare. Now I want you to notice this. That's exactly what happens with anybody who becomes our friend. Now hear me on this one. Write this down. That verse just tells us exactly what happens with anybody who we call a friend. We will become just like our friend. We will learn their ways. We will learn their ways. And if their ways are evil, it snares us in the same thing. If their ways are godly, we will also learn from them. And that friendship will bring a blessing to our soul. I recall in the book of Acts, the disciples are brought before the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin, it says they looked at them and it says they knew that they were uneducated men, but then it says they took note that they had been with Jesus. How did they know they'd been with, what made them take special note that they had been with Jesus? Because they were with Jesus long enough that they took on his ways. They took on his mannerisms. He affected them and influenced them and pulled them up because Jesus could do that. I'm telling you, it matters who you run with. It matters who you hang around with. It matters who you talk to all the time. It matters who you call on the phone and chat with all the time. It matters who you meet and go do things with. It matters because wherever their life is spiritually, you're going to catch it. You're going to learn it. Now, you're not sitting there saying, well, I'm in school in this relationship. I I, I am with you so I can learn your ways you don't even know you're learning their ways, but you are. Solomon warned in Proverbs twelve twenty six the consistently righteous man is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked causes other people to go astray. Now there are basically four levels of friendship available to us, and they are these, acquaintance, casual friend, close friend, an intimate friend, or what we would call best friend. Now let's talk about the acquaintance for a minute. An acquaintance is a person with whom you have only occasional contact. Sometimes it's only a single contact, such as somebody you meet while traveling or who, becomes, or who comes to your house to fix the plumbing or the washing machine or whatever. That's just an acquaintance. You run across their path once or twice, it's an acquaintance. Now the casual friendship is based on common interests or activities. A casual friend may be a person at work or somebody you know at school, at church, or on a sports team. It's just a casual friendship. You don't call each other up and go places together. You you meet each other based on common interests and that's the only way you encounter them. It's a casual friendship. But then there's a close friendship. A close friendship is based on mutual goals and long-term interests. In a close friendship there will usually be more discussion about personal problems and conflicts when a person begins to discuss his deficiencies with you he's opening up private areas of his life and that's becoming a close friendship close friends are those who have begun to let down the drawbridge to their hearts trust affection increasing transparency and much more time is spent together signifying the growth of a close friendship but then we come now to the intimate friendship, best friends. He's my best friend. She's my best friend. Have been for years. You won't have many intimate best friends. Intimate friendship is by its nature fairly intense because of the level of emotional investment there is in that relationship. Some married couples are intimate friends. Others are not. I liked it the other night when we were on James Robinson, and James said, Betty is my best friend. I could go out with the guys, but I'd rather just be with Betty. That's good. Amen? Some married couples are intimate friends. Others aren't. An intimate friendship is based on strong transparency and vulnerability. You believe with your best friend or intimate friend that your deepest secrets are safe. Accountability. There's accountability between the two of you. I'll never hurt you, I'll never betray you. Well, I won't ever hurt you, and I won't ever betray you. And there's a commitment to the development of each other's character and spiritual potential. Best friends want the best for each other. Now, I'm going to say something. If you think you're in a best friendship, but that best friendship is damaging you, that person is not honoring your faith, And you are having a compromise to be in it. That's not a best friend. Because a best friend will always want the best for you. There is freedom in a best friendship to discuss character deficiencies or sin patterns and to work together for victory in those areas. With best friends, you can say, man, this is my weakness. This is where I stumble all the time. This is where I would stumble a lot if God didn't help me. And I'd like to know that I can come to you when I'm tempted and say, I'm tempted and it's not going to be known in the whole church the next Sunday. Can I have a better amen than that? There is safety. The Bible says confess your faults one to another and pray one to another, or one for another, that you may be healed. The reason there's not more confession in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is because of fear. We're afraid. If I confess my faults, my sin patterns, my weaknesses to somebody, they're going to tell someone else. And so I'm not telling anybody. And because of that fear, many in the church are walking in defeat. And God wants us to be able to have friends, close friends, intimate friends that we can call and say, hey, pray for me. I'm in temptation because the minute you say, I'm tempted, 90 percent of the battle is won. Intimate friends are committed to faithfulness, loyalty, and availability. They will not wrong you. One woman still remembers a stressful time years ago when she'd come home from work at a Chicago newspaper crawl into bed and telephone her friend for a long chat. She says, quote, I would call her for an answer to the am I crazy question. How many of you would like to ask somebody that sometime? Or when I needed a reality check or wanted to know whether I was on the right track. You can't ask those questions of many people. If you call some people and say, am I crazy, they're going to say, you know, I've thought that for a long time. It has to be a friend who knows you well and is brave enough to risk telling you the truth. We all need somebody in our lives who love us but don't think we're perfect. So they're not shocked when you tell them you're not. The ancients wrote that a faithful friend is the medicine of life. The need to understand and be understood is very powerful. Without intimate friends, without the people who get us, Life would be unbearably lonely. All of us need somebody who gets us. The strongest predictor of health in the lives of women, scientists are now saying, is the quality of her relationships. The scientific community has now found that friendships help women out of depression. They say that it's critical that women have at least one relationship with a woman friend in which they can totally be themselves. Take stress, for example. A big risk to your health is stress. Friends are great at reducing each other's frustration and anxiety, writes one author. A simple acknowledgement of the source of your stress, my boss is hard on me, my car is broken down, is often enough to make you feel better, just that you were able to dump your frustrations on somebody who will say after that, let's go get a cup of coffee. And I like that invitation, by the way. (laughs) In fact, there's almost no aspect to your health, mental or physical, that isn't improved by a caring, empathetic friendship. A close friend is like a slightly flattering mirror. Now, the Bible is very clear about friendships as they relate to those who have made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, those who call themselves Christians. For instance, Scripture teaches that we have no choice when it comes to acquaintances and casual friendships the first two levels with people who are not professing Christians. We have no choice. Paul said, I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, but I didn't at all mean the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world, become a monk, move to the mountains, join a monastery, because that's the world we live in. But the first two levels of friendship, that's safe, because you're not running with them. You're not spending time with them. You're not lowering the drawbridge and allowing those people into the deeper recesses of your soul. So their ways are not going to become your ways on those first two levels. It is not wise to forge close and intimate friendships with those who don't embrace Christ as their Savior and live it. I want to just emphasize, live it. Because in America, everybody's saved. The Bible warns, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Well, we all like football. We like sports. We like bowling. We like, uh, you know, many different things. We have common points of interest. That's not what he's saying. When it gets right down to it, there is no plane. there is no ground for true intimacy of soul with a best friend or a close friend who is not saved when you are because you're in the light and they're in the dark now i am not being elitist when i say that i am not being holier than thou when i say that jesus told us this and the apostles told us this so that our faith would not be corrupted and i'm going to talk about corruption in just a moment but when he says don't be unequally yoked What in the world does yoke mean? Yoking refers to two animals being placed in the same harness. I want you to picture, we've all seen it in movies, maybe in person, two animals harnessed, the same harness, two net braces, two things for their net. They're both harnessed to the same harness. They're right next to each other. That's the idea when Paul says, don't be unequally harnessed together, don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever in a close or an intimate friendship. When you're yoked to something, when those two animals are yoked together, where one goes, the other goes. When one stops, the other stops. What one eats and drinks, the other eats and drinks. And there's no difference with human beings. In the Old Testament, it was against God's law to yoke an ox and a donkey. You couldn't yoke an ox and a donkey together because they destroyed each other. The ox was obedient and submissive to the owner, while the donkey resisted, rebelled, pulled at the harness, and snapped at and bit the ox. They destroyed each other. And that's the idea. The picture is clear. You don't yoke together animals of totally different natures, and the same goes for human beings. If you're in the light and they're in the dark, they're going to pull one way, you're going to pull the other. They're going to eat one thing that you know you shouldn't eat, and you're going to want to eat something else. Finally you're going to be at odds against one another. One of the two is going to cave. So you don't yoke together believers with unbelievers in close and intimate friendships. First Corinthians 15, says, Do not be deceived and misled or led astray. Evil companionships, associations, crowds, corrupt and depraved, good manners and morals and character. Hear this now. The Message Bible says bad company ruins good manners. The NIV says bad companions ruin good character. When it says that bad companions corrupt good manners, morals, and character, what in the world does the word corrupt mean? What does corrupt mean? The word corrupt is found in the New Testament many times couple of examples second Corinthians 7 two. Paul declares we have corrupted no man Jude said of false teachers but these men mock and curse at anything they don't understand and like animals they do whatever they feel like thereby corrupting corrupting their own souls the word corrupt is powerful And if the Bible tells me that if I hang around with the wrong people, it's going to corrupt my character, corrupt my morals, corrupt my walk with God, then what in the world does the word mean? Corrupt means to pine or to waste, to shrivel or to wither, to spoil or to ruin, to wane, to destroy, to bring into a worse state morally and spiritually. A picture as a tree in autumn is stripped of its leaves and whose fruit withers. That's the picture of corruption. Corruption is the process by which godly character withers, and strong morals drop off of a once spiritually fruitful tree. And the Bible says that happens by running with the wrong people. Wow. Give me a great big old me. I'm going to count to three, and I want you to smile. One, two, three. We need to hear this. Because we can't shine for God running with the wrong people. We can't successfully walk with God running with the wrong crowd. We can't bear spiritual fruit if we're hanging around with people that are dragging us down. And so I say this in love today. We need this. I need this. You need this. We need to be selective about who we hang around with, who we fellowship with, who we open our hearts to. Come on, church. So let me expand on this verse. Here's the Revised Slanted Wickwire Version. Ready? Don't be fooled and led down the wrong path. Wrong companions ruin good manners, morals, and character. Associating with the wrong people will cause your spiritual life to pine away, waste, shrivel, and wither, bringing you into a worse state morally and spiritually than you were before you knew them if you continue to hang around with them your spiritual fruit will wither and your branches will wilt and die. One of the things that makes the process of corruption in a wrong relationship so insidious is that it's often difficult for the person being corrupted to see it. Why in the world would that be? Because it doesn't take place but in in clear blacks and whites. It doesn't take place in clear blacks and whites, but in the world of pale shades of gray. It's stealth-like, growing slowly but surely like an unseen cancer of the soul. Corruption takes place in pale shades of gray. Because there may be chemistry with that wrong friend, a meeting of the minds, compatible personalities. You can assume God's in it. But just because you get along well with or like each other or experience mutual friendship attraction does not mean it's God. I'm going to read that one again. Just because you get along well with them or like each other or experience mutual friendship attraction is not a sign that that friendship has been kissed by God. For instance, the Bible says that Herod and Pilate became friends. They became friends while they both played their parts in crucifying Jesus. The Bible says now Herod and his soldiers began mocking and ridiculing Jesus and putting a kingly robe on him. They sent him back to Pilate. And that day, that day, after Herod had mocked him, spit on him, beaten him, he sent him to be crucified to Pilate. And that day, Herod and Pilate, enemies before, became fast friends. Now if I can just carry that thought for a minute, if a friendship you're in requires you sacrificing Jesus, in order to stay in it, you need to get out of it. Because here they were, hey, we have discovered we liked each other while we are committing the blackest deed in the history of the world. So in, you might say their friendship was made truly in hell corruption through wrong relationships doesn't take place overnight but over time in a thousand missteps each one carrying its victim a little further down the slippery slope toward destruction and you don't see it you can't see the forest because of the trees I like them we get along hey we've got a great thing going here but you don't see that day by day hour by hour as you hang around with them and with that crowd you're compromising You're losing your grip on God. You're fading, you're drifting, you're getting away. I'd rather be alone. David said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God. There comes a time where you've got to choose to be alone rather than compromise your faith. C.S. Lewis said, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. I could change that and say, the road to corruption is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Corruption feeds on minor compromises, seemingly insignificant surrenders that when all added together comprise a great fall. I'm going to tell you something about the enemy of your soul. He knows this. He knows that you are a believer in the, and that you've got the Word of God in you. So he knows he's not going to take you by something obvious. So what he does is he seduces you into corruption. And his greatest tool of corruption, if I'm reading my Bible right, is wrong relationships because there he can get you emotionally entangled. There he can get you where there is a level of loyalty and dedication to a human being, and that begins to be replaced by God. And because it comes under the guise of something, well, we're getting along, and we have a good friendship, and we understand one another, we know one another, and all of these other things, he can make something wrong look right, and he's able to take you down that gradual road of compromise more easily, step by step, inch by inch, day by day, until a year down the road somebody comes up to you and says, you're not who I used to know. Well what are you talking about? I feel just great. That's what corrupted people say. Because they don't know they've been corrupted. Corruption's favorite choice of entry is a wrong relationship. Let me take Solomon for instance. When he was young and had been under the influence of his father David, His heart was after God. Solomon had a heart for God. The Bible says in 1 Kings 3, verse 3, and Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father, David. He loved the Lord. We know from the Bible that when God said to him, what do you want? I'll give you anything you want. Just tell me what you want. It says that Solomon asked for wisdom. He said, I want wisdom. I want wisdom so I can wisely guide your people, so I can wisely shepherd your flock, so I can be a good king and a good ruler. And God said, because you asked wisdom from me and not riches and not fame and not honor, I'm going to give you the riches and I'm also going to, or I'm going to give you the wisdom and I'm also going to give you the riches and the fame and the honor because you asked for a good thing, wisdom. And the reason it was a good thing was because he loved the Lord. That was the condition of young Solomon's heart. Powerful. Give me wisdom, God. That's all I want. But by corruption, Solomon's faith was almost destroyed. Read Ecclesiastes, and there you've got Solomon post-corruption. Woe is me. Woe is me. All is futile. All is vain. Everything is chasing after the wind. Life's a ripoff. Life's a drag. Under the sun thinking. Everything to Solomon. Under the sun this. Under the sun that. That phrase, under the sun, translated means life without God. He had disconnected from God, so he was looking at everything through the eyes of flesh because he had undergone corruption. How did it happen? When Solomon was old, I'm quoting the Bible, for when Solomon was old, his wives, his relationships, his companions turned away his heart, turned away his heart after other gods. Did it happen all on his own? No. Did it happen by some demon spirit attacking his mind? No. How was his heart turned away from God? Wrong relationships. Listen to where he went. His heart was not perfect with the Lord his God. I'm quoting the Bible now. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abominable idol of the Ammonites. Do you see what is happening here? This man who loved God, who walked with God, who prayed to God, with whom God communicated. This man is now chasing after idols that can't talk, can't see, can't hear, can't touch, can't do a thing for you. Wooden, dumb, stupid, stone idols. How can this possibly happen? You know, we hear about the crash of someone's life. We'll say, I'm shocked. God's never shocked. Because if you had been God, you would have seen the process of corruption happening in that life. It's like termites in wood. I read recently about a couple who invited another family over to their house. True story. Invited them over to their house. And when they were done eating and they were about to leave, they walked the couple out to the porch. And as they were standing out on the porch, one of these great big porches with a great big um, lean-to or, or, you know, the roof that extended out, all of a sudden it collapsed around them. The pillars fell. The wood crumbled. They were shocked. How could this be? It's a beautiful home. The next day the story was told. They brought out an inspector. And he said, it's filled with termites." So if you had been God and could have seen what was really going on, the crumbling, the crash would not have shocked you at all. And that's why you can't let things that corrupt into your life. Because one day, everybody goes, well, I just can't believe it. Well, it's no shock at all to God because corruption like termites was eating away on the faith of that person. Listen to what Solomon went into now. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abominable idol of Moab, and for Molech, the abominable idol of the Ammonites. These are all false gods that God Almighty hated. And yet here is Solomon, the man of God, the man after God's heart, out there to these idols. His heart robbed away. How did that happen? Corruption. Notice the gods of Solomon's companions became his gods. Their ways became his ways. He began to worship what they worship. He learned their ways and they became a snare to his soul. The Bible said if you hang around with an angry man, you're going to learn his ways and you're going to start responding to adversity in anger just like him. You hang around with a drunk, you'll become a drunk. You hang around with a smoker, don't inhale too much. You hang around with somebody with a foul mouth, you're going to catch it. You hang around with somebody that has no heart for God. Well, Pastor, I'm running around with somebody they've never had a traffic ticket. But I ask you this, do they love the Lord Jesus Christ when you're with them? Do they sharpen your faith? Do they make you want to seek God? Do you feel edified, exhorted, and comforted when you leave their presence? If you don't look at it, well, I'd be one lonely cat. That's okay. Jesus said, I am alone. But he said, but the Father is with me. You know, I I, I have three good friends in my life, male friends in my life, who, when we get together, we talk. We get down. We talk about, we'll, we'll talk about the things that tempt us. We'll talk about the things that we struggle with. We'll talk about the things of God. I never leave their presence, not ever, without feeling edified, exhorted, and comforted, and encouraged in the faith. We talk about our vision. We talk about all kinds of things that have to do with God. Now, if I was hanging around with somebody who every time I left from them, Every time I walked away, I was aware of having compromised my faith. I was aware of not having been who I really am. I was aware of having to to modify my faith to be around them. That relationship is not for me. Now I'm going to give you a test. How do you recognize a a relationship that is corrupting? How do you recognize a relationship that is corrupting? I'm going to share three quick things, and I'm going to close today. Number one, if you're having to compromise long-held Bible convictions to stay in it, that's a corrupting relationship. If you're having to compromise long-held Bible convictions to stay in it, that's a corrupting relationship. If your relationship with God is less than it was before the friendship, if your relationship with God is less than it was before the friendship, that's a corrupting relationship. Third and last, if you're having, or rather, if you're involving yourself in activities that you once would have shunned, and they're not even convicting you like they used to, get out. Just get out. Well, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Let me tell you something about people who corrupt you. Don't worry about hurting their feelings, because at the right time and the right moment and the right hour, they won't blink at hurting yours. If they lie for you, they'll lie to you. If they cheat with you, they'll cheat on you. Come on, everybody. Don't worry about hurting somebody's feelings. Here's what you need to be concerned about. What does he think about this? Because the Bible says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed to the day of redemption. That means don't hurt the heart of God. So if anything is hurting his heart, let the chips fall where they may if you've got to leave a relationship that is corrupting, that is making you compromise, that is modifying and diluting and polluting your faith. Come on, if Solomon had just said, you know, you you gals are taking me down into idolatry. I'm done with this. I'm seeking the true and the living God. We wouldn't have a divided king with a divided heart who left a divided nation. We would have had a king seeking the true and the living God. So yes, you've got to get real and you've got to get tough because we're in a battle. And I want you to understand the enemy's main entry point into our life is relationships. So choose them wisely even if they seem nerdy. If they love God, bless the nerds. If they love God, just bless the nerds. Well, we don't have much in common. Well, if you're both saved and both seeking God, that's everything in the world to have in common. Just get together and gossip the Gospel. It'll bless you. It'll lift you up. It'll, it'll, it'll set you free. Let's stand together, can we? Now here's what I'm hearing in my spirit, and I want you to listen to me as we close. I'm hearing this in my spirit. Pastor Jeff, I'm already in too deep. I'm already in too deep. Because it could be a dating relationship. You see, I'm already in too deep, and, and I, I just can't emotionally do that to that person. You know what? Yeah, you can. All you gotta say is, you know, I'm having to compromise my faith in this, and I can't do that. I don't love you more than I love him. And I don't like you as a friend more than I need to know the line is clear with him, and just walk away. Because they'll think about that. You know, when I was in college, it was lonely, I was single, Wasn't married yet to Kathy and my one and by the way, we're celebrating our twenty-eighth anniversary. Now I'm in trouble. (laughs) In less than a week. Isn't that something? But now, watch this. When I was in college, it was it was lonely. I'll never forget nobody walked with God. I'll even ID the school. University of North Texas. If you've ever been there, it's a party school. And I had a a commitment to God. I was not going to party, compromise my faith. And so my whole class in radio, TV, film, my my film class, all of them were living in heavy sin. And uh, so there weren't any friends, but there was this one guy. This one guy, I'll never forget him. Long, blonde hair, neat. We, we got along. We, we connected in our personalities. Cool guy, fun guy. We, we laughed a lot together and in the class and so on and so forth. And so the Bible says to the bitter thing, uh, to, or to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. So if you're really lonely, you can be open to reaching out in areas you shouldn't. I remember thinking, wow, it's neat just to have a friend in this wasteland. So one night he invited me to stay the, the night at his, his uh, apartment. That was the first kind of go out and do something together thing we had done. And I said, okay, okay, sure. So went over there. We laughed, talked, and I was going to sleep on the floor. So he made this little makeshift bed, put some blankets on the floor, and you know, we were both single and the hair and the whole thing. and. I was groovy, you know. No, I'm just, that really dates me. But listen, so I laid down, and man, I laid down and rolled over, and right there in front of me was a stack of porn magazines, just a stack. Well, he'd gone off to bed. How many of you know the devil is around that stuff? Well, so the devil, hey, look at that. I am. It's right there. Go ahead. He won't even know. And you know what I did? I thought, I know now. He's not in any way walking with God. So I got up, went in there and said, hey, I feel bad. What's the matter? I just feel bad. I'm gonna go on home. Okay, man, see ya, and I got out of there. And we never did anything together again, because there was an understanding without it even being said. That was the problem. But now, let's just say I had hung around with him. This was one of his snares. You think if I'd hung around with him long enough, I wouldn't have started thinking, well, maybe it's not so bad. he's okay and his snare would have become my snare. And then I would have had a snare to my soul, and I would have had to say goodbye to that friend. And that's where you draw the line. You can't, unless you want to die, spiritually. I think you're hearing me, aren't you, church? And so I stayed lonely, only the lonely. That was my song. But I learned that if you take a stand for God, the fellowship of the Spirit will be with you even though you're alone. Okay? Now that's just a true story. I liked him, but I could not lose this for this. Couldn't. Let me pray for you, Father. I pray for this congregation. I know the snare of friendships that are not of you and how they can so corrupt our faith slowly over time and we lose that cutting edge we lose the zeal Lord I'm just praying right now that you will help us to have sanctified relationships in our life godly relationships and that we will never give up our friendship and fellowship with God for the sake of someone on this planet and I want you to take a minute say Lord even if I have to be alone I'll fellowship with you. Take a minute. And if there is a friendship in your life where you say, I'm in too deep, you're not in too deep. You're here today hearing this. You can still walk. So make the decision. Say, Lord, give me the strength. You say, Pastor, I needed this today. Raise your hand and just let the Spirit of God see you. Just let Him know it. Now, Lord, help all of us in our friendships. Help all of us, Lord, in our friendships. Oh, God, in Jesus' name. Go ahead and pray for a minute. Say, Lord, I give you the friends. And I receive the grace to walk if I need to walk. Keep me true, Lord Jesus.